home. All right. It's awesome. Let's go back. All right. Yeah. Amen. All right. Let's see. We had some technical difficulties this morning, so we have to kind of go uh, somewhere along the lines. It'll be back. I promise. I told you guys I would try a PowerPoint this week. We're going to try, and we're going to see what happens. Now, I, I don't have the fancy Pastor John clicker. I mean, it wouldn't work. I don't, it didn't like my PowerPoint. I'm not entirely, it's probably password protected. So, um, <laughs> so instead of like banging it and smack, I just went, and, so I'm using my old mouse, and hopefully uh, it'll work. So it'll work. It, it'll work. We'll We'll get it going. Do I have to? Oh, it probably helps if I turn my mouse on, right? Ah, there we go. All right. Hey, I warned you guys. This might take a while. I'm telling you. I, I'm scatterbrained as it is. So, um, man, it has been an incredible week. Um, it was beautiful. Wednesday was gorgeous. Thursday was all right. Friday was miserable. But I will tell you, I got to spend a little bit of extra quality time with my kids this week, and I now have a, a standing joke with my brother-in-law. I made the mistake, well, it's not really a mistake, I, I, I bought Moana, and um, we bought a digital copy because it came out before the, 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 the DVD itself came out. Um, we have probably watched that about 200 times since March 1st, and um, yeah, it's amazing, it, two, three times a day. So we had a Moana week, and we watched it Friday morning, Friday afternoon, half of it Friday night, Saturday morning, then we went to my in-law's house last night for dinner for my father-in-law's birthday, and we watched it again. So it's fun, though. You know, I, I watch my kids, and, um, and they have it memorized. They have uh, the songs memorized. They have the words memorized. They have the, the haka dance that Maui does. And if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's a great movie. Uh, it's visually appealing. The music is incredible. Uh, but what I watch my kids is, is I watch as they, they watch this movie and um, they start to learn it. They start to pattern their behavior and they start to know something. They know the songs. They know the characters. They know the lyrics. They know the story. And we sat last night, and before the movie even started, Avery was telling Nana everything from start to finish. Like, the movie starts playing, and they start singing, and she's like, Nana, they're singing in their native tongue. <laughs> like, Avery, you're four. Stop. Like, <laughs> she gets it. So she's, I'm, I keep having to tell them, shh, Nana hasn't seen this yet. Wait, guess what happens? Shh. But they, they know. They've come to learn. Why? There's an experience there. And last week we talked about trying to figure out ways to experience the holiness of God more in our lives. And this week I want to just share with you um, three things uh, having to do with priorities. Uh, my, my mindset as I've been working here at the school for this past year, and one of the first things that I shared with the youth group when we first came on was that we have this awesome opportunity to truly know God. And Paul talks about that, that I may know Him, and that I may know Him, and, 
Just about every letter that he writes, he talks about the ability that we have to know God. And I'm going to make sure this works. Yes! Don't worry, that's the only one that does that. The rest appear normally. So um, it's visually stunning. Um, no. So I'm going to start in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And um, I put pretty much all of the verses we're going to look up on the board. My wife says, you look, up, you, you look them up too fast, and you read them too fast, and you don't give people a chance to catch up. So hopefully we'll read them together, and then we'll be able to see what's going on, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. So 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 says this, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Let's pray. Lord, uh, man, it, it's been a long night. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you uh, just speak through me today. Help me to, to think clearly. To speak clearly, let these be your words, not mine. Uh, Lord, I pray for uh, Ashley, who's home this morning, sick. Uh, uh, she's been up all night. Just give her some extra rest today and, and uh, heal whatever is plaguing her this morning. And uh, selfishly, that she keeps it all to herself. But Lord, um, help us to just leave here challenged today. Lord, to understand not just what your holiness is, not just what your love is, but what our priorities should be when it comes to our relationship with you. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen. So our, our relationship with God is the first stop on our list today. And I've got a, a handful of verses listed in, in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 28. And it says, Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? And this is one of the verses that I, I try to challenge my teens with and the students with. This group here is Jesus' teaching. And if you continue reading on, he talks about kings going to battle and, and looking back to make sure that they have enough of an army to be successful in battle or else they go and they try to arrange a peace treaty and, and, and solve it uh, amicably as best as possible. And so many times we read this verse, and we read it the other day in one of my classes, and one of the kids said, uh, does that mean uh, we should hate our family? Is Jesus telling us to hate our family? And I said, no. As a matter of fact, what Jesus is telling us here is he's talking about the priority of our relationship with him in comparison to the priority of the relationship that we have with each other. And what Jesus is talking about is this relationship that we have with God should take so much precedent over all our other relationships that it could appear that, that when it comes to family, when it comes to friends, when it comes to associates, when it comes to business, whatever it comes to, that God 
is our first and foremost priority. That all other relationships that we have here on this earth pale in comparison to, to, to our relationship with God. The importance of it. And then when we talk about discipleship, it, it comes with a cost. It's free to us to become a child of God. But it wasn't free in, in terms of it being free. It's just here, it's free. There, there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? Someone's got to pay for it. So in this free relationship that we have, Christ had to pay that ultimate price. He had to be the one that took on our sin. He took on our wrath. He took on all the evil that's within us. The Bible says that before we came to know Christ, we were children of wrath. We were enemies of God. That we stood in opposition to Him. But while we were still sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us taking all that upon Himself so that we could restore that relationship with God. And we could have that unity. And now the importance of that comes, again, there is no shortcuts to developing our relationship with God. When you think about what we, uh, what we experience today, I have to keep looking over my shoulder because it's only on that projector and not back there. So I'm like, we'll be all right. There's no shortcuts to it. And everybody, if, you, if you, you've heard it from Sunday school to pastor to if you've gone to small groups or Bible study, I'm sure it's come up. Or you've seen it. Someone has a question. I'll Google it real quick. We whip out our phone. We type it in. And boom, it pops right up. Right? We have answers within seconds. Unfortunately, that's how we view developing our relationship with God. Five-minute devotionals, one minute with Jesus, that type of thing. I'm not saying those are tools that you can't use. I'm saying if that's what you're basing your relationship on, if that's the only thing that's helping you grow, we're missing out on something so much more. Because it's not a fast food option. It's not, you know, today I'll have the uh, number two with an uh, extra side of prayer. And, um, you yeah, let me get that supersized. That's really not how it works. Just like if we just had a steady diet of fast food, we would not be healthy. You've seen Supersize Me? Yeah, no? Great movie if, if you want to just watch, uh, the uh, what's his name, Murdoch Spurlock, something like that. I don't know, it rhymes. But he goes for like an entire month where he eats everything on the McDonald's menu. He has to eat it, he has to eat it at least once, and he has to eat McDonald's for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. And this was back when they would ask you, would you like to supersize that? And if they asked him, would you like to supersize that? He would say, yes, please. And that's all he ate for a month. And within a month, he gained like almost 90 pounds. Like he, he was on the verge of a heart attack. His blood pressure was through the roof. He was battling depression. He was angry. Why? Because it, it's, it's, it doesn't sustain life the way it's supposed to. It's good in a pinch. It's good when we're running from karate to McDonald's to come back to church. But if I based my life off of a fast food diet, it's, it's probably not going to end well. And if we're trying to develop our spiritual lives based on this five minutes here and one minute there and two minutes here, we're, we're not going to develop. We're not going to grow. Why? Because it's not going to be a priority. We make time for the things that we love. We make time for the things that we enjoy. But what about when it comes to time for prayer and meditation and solitude? And, you know, we, we hear these words and sometimes we think, oh, solitude? Yeah! That is very important when it comes to the life of a believer. 
Just look at Jesus. Every time he's ministering to the crowds and the crowds are pushing upon him, and he gets to the point where he's like, I, you know what, I just got to kind of step away and go pray. And he, he disappears off into the wilderness or into the desert or while he's traveling to here and he's traveling to there. He just he takes some time, walks away, and just develops this relationship. Because he sees the importance of it. If it's that important for the Son of God to stop and to pray and to meditate and to get away from all the distractions and all the crowds and all the craziness, how much more should it be important for us? And these are the, these are the lives that we, we live. Let's see what comes next. I have some quotes here from uh, Mr. Tozer again, Dr. Tozer. And he says this in Walking in His Ways. He says, Probably the most widespread and persistent problem to be found among Christians is the problem of retarded spiritual progress. Why, after years of a Christian's profession, do so many persons find themselves no farther along than when they first believed? The causes of retarded growth are many. It would not be accurate to ascribe the trouble to one single fault, One there is, however, which is so universal that it may easily be the main cause. Failure to give time to the cultivation of the knowledge of God. And then he says this in pursuit of God. For millions of Christians, nevertheless, God is no more real than he is to the non-Christian. They go through life trying to love an ideal and be loyal to a mere principle. And can I say this is us at times? We love the principle of God. We love the foundational stuff. We love the idea of God. We love that He's all-knowing and all-loving and all-forgiving. But what about being holy? And what about when He requires sacrifice from us? See, the problem with this, and I have it up here, if we only love the principle or the idea of God, we completely ignore and miss the person of God. Because if, if, if I take the Bible for what it is, and it says, taste and see, smell his garments, hear what he's saying. These are personal characteristics that we can know God on a personal, individual level. But just like any relationship, it takes time and it takes commitment. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34 says this, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life, As to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body. As to what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? We could stop there for like for the rest of the year, right? Yeah. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of his own. There's so many things that we can pull out of here, but what I've highlighted is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Do you know, Paul does a lot of talking about our former, uh, the former nature, our sin nature, how it lusts after the things of the flesh, and how it has you know, very distinct differences from this new person of Christ. And you know, Jesus is saying the same thing. The Gentiles, the, the heathens, the unsaved, the non-Christians, they're all seeking after material things. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? I'm going to start using this verse. I let my kids pick out their clothes. And sometimes my wife's like, why did you let them pick out their clothes? I'm going to say, because Jesus tells us don't worry about what we wear. He'll take care of it. So <laughs> let's see how that works. But if we're going to be willing to seek, seek first, there's the priority. Jesus doesn't say, seek your job and then me. Seek your relationship with your spouse and then me. Seek being a good father and then me. Seek being, you fill in the blank, because you know what it is that takes the place of Christ. You know what it is that creeps up into our life and becomes our priority. We are excellent at making our own gods. Happens all the time. And all through Scripture it happens. A couple of weeks back, we were going through a, a study about the gospel and its impact on our life, and we got to the point where we talked about this. We, we make our own gods. And the, the, the children of Israel did it. They left Egypt, and they marched to the mountain. The Red Sea parted. And then Moses went up, and they said, he must be dead. What do we do? Aaron says, let's bring me your gold. Throw it in the fire. And they made a graven image. Not only did they make this image, they looked at it and said, this is the God that delivered us from Egypt. This is the job that delivered me from financial failure. No, it's not. This is the woman or the man who delivered me from loneliness. No, it's not. Do you see where we start to make these same mistakes? I love when Moses comes down. Aaron's like, well, we just kind of threw it in the fire and this showed up, man. What did you expect us to do? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. So, Where's our priorities? I, I put, it's hard to see. I don't know if you can see it. But I, I took my 24-hour day and I put it into a pie chart. And I'm going to share a little bit of it with you today. All right, I'll get out of the way so you can see it. So up here in the corner, it starts with the light brown kind of goldish. That's my work. It takes about nine hours of my day, sometimes more, sometimes less, sometimes snow day. Yeah, right? That was awesome. I'm not going to lie. So then on the bottom, I have my sleep, you know, because everybody's got to get a... Thank you. Ryan, you're the man. So I have sleep here. And this is a rough... I think I did like seven, maybe eight hours, because that's what you're supposed to get. But let's be honest. Who really gets seven to eight hours of sleep? You've got to help me figure out how to get that into my schedule. So then I have a couple hours here for family time. Uh, it's like three hours. Then I have a couple of... Spot for meals, that's another couple of hours. Then I got driving, right? So I drive from Woodridge all the way down. It's about 40, 45 minutes, depending on traffic, one way. 
And then when we leave school, we got to go to the grocery store. So roughly about two hours. And I got my personal time, which is, you know, you got to get up, you got to take a shower. That's about two hours. You're going to take a two hour shower? No. But it's personal time, you know. You have to go visit the Louvre and you wash your hands. and It all adds up. And then I have uh, this nice blue spot. One hour dedicated to Jeopardy. <laughs> Every night. We watch the 7 o'clock one and then we watch the 7.30 because we're going to miss something with the kids. So, yeah. Do you guys have that option down here? We pick up like a Pennsylvania channel. So here it's on at 7. Wherever this cable company is in Pennsylvania, it's on at 7.30. So it's pretty cool. You could watch Wheel of Fortune first if you want. It's kind of backwards, but whatever, you know. It's Pennsylvania for you. And then I got this little red spot up here is another about an hour of bedtime. That's where I, I get the kids ready for bed. They get showers. We brush our teeth. We read stories and we sing songs and we finally tuck them into bed. Do you see anything missing from my pie chart? Yeah, where's God, right? So luckily for me, during my work schedule, I have a a three-period window from 11.30 to 1.30 that I can focus on time to pray and to study if I choose. But can I tell you something? It doesn't always happen. And I set my alarm to go off at 5.15 in the morning. And it's got a five-minute snooze session. And it goes off and I hit it. And for five minutes, I commit to praying for my, my, my family. And then when the snooze button goes off again, I hit it again. And then I commit to five minutes for praying for the church, for you guys, for the teens. And then in five minutes, it goes off again and I hit it. And I pray for whatever else falls onto my heart. Individual people, friends, whatever it is. You know, sometimes I start praying and then I wake up hitting the snooze button. See, I know if I'm busy, I know you're busy. I have two kids. They don't play sports. They do karate, but that's on Wednesdays we're here anyway. They don't do a lot of crazy extracurricular stuff, but we're busy. Busy, 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 busy. Has anybody ever tried this little exercise, just writing down what they do in a day, how much time they spend committed to this, how much time they spend committed to that. It's amazing what you'll find. You know, when I I talk to the teenagers about this stuff, they're like, but I don't have a job. But you spend six hours on social media just scrolling and clicking like and this and, you know, taking 50 selfies to find the one with the perfect lighting and Look, if we're not making time for God, what we, we say, look, my relationship is not a priority. It doesn't matter. God's not requiring us to give everything up. It's not a give up all your time, give up your job, give up eating, give up family time. It's incorporating. How can I incorporate God into my family time? You know, what did you guys learn today? I love getting, like, my theology from my four-year-old. It's amazing. Talk to your kids and ask them what they think about Jesus and who he is and what he did. It's mind-blowing. Some of the things, it's not always true. It's not always right. But it's there. 
And I can foster that. And that's an example that I can set, that I can, I can talk to her about what she's learning in school or what they talked about at Awana's. And, you know, Taryn, the other night, I may have shared this with you, I may not have, but she came home from, from uh, Awana's and we were talking and she's like, Dad, I think I'm really getting close to, to asking Jesus into my heart. And I'm like, do tell. Like, this is great. Yeah, she's almost there. You know what? I want it to be natural. I want her to come to Christ. I don't want her to do it because, well, it'll make daddy and mommy happy. It'll be, it'll be something that, you know, we just say and do and we get it over with. And yeah, my daughter got saved at the age of seven. And then 10, 15 years later, there was really nothing there because she doesn't understand it. But I can tell you something. She is going to understand that there is a priority that God has in our life. Is it always the perfect example? It's not. But when I sit down, and we sit down to eat, and we take time to pray, it's more than bless this food to our bodies, bless the hands that have prepared it, in your name we pray, amen. That was my dinner prayer growing up my entire life. Without fail, we'd sit down, and that's what my dad would say. And then I, I started listening to my kids pray, and that's what they would say. And I stopped, and I said, you know what, we're, we're missing it here. This is just, it's, it's vain. There's no point to it. There's no meaning behind it. We're just spitting some words out, hoping that God hears it, because it's not real to us. There's no person behind it. So we've had to stop and say, look, let's pray for our day. Let's pray for something else. Let's, let's incorporate that prayer for our food to praying for Grammy or Nana or the church or for each other. Because that builds an example in their mind that says this can become a priority. God first. And everything else falls in place. And John says that. We have fellowship with the Father. We have fellowship with each other. And that's what he's talking about. Prioritizing our time and our relationship. Alright, so on to the next. is our family. The first priority that we should have if we truly want to know God is that relationship with God. And the second is taking care of our family. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Unfortunately, too often in our homes, our Christian homes, it's just a place where we eat and sleep. And the, the rigorous day and the routine that we have, sometimes that's what it feels like. We leave the house at 6.30 if we're lucky, and sometimes we're home at 6.30 at night. My kids go to bed at 7.30. That's an hour. What are we doing? You know, and, and I, I, I've read this verse and, and, and thinking about it and growing up and, and seeing, you know, being in ministry, you know, my, my dad... It was a pastor. And I can remember where things would take precedent over family. We'd have choir um, for school, or bands, concerts, baseball games. And most of the time, my dad was like, you know what, we'll go to the game, but by the fifth inning, we have to leave. But I, I, there were a lot of things that they missed because, hey, I, I he had ministry responsibilities. And for about five years of my life, I resented that to no end. That for some reason, this ministry is more important than the ministry that God has given you. We're supposed to minister to our families. What's the example that we're setting? It is a huge danger to allow our ministries and our work and our relationships and our personal events to choke out our families. 
See, if we're focused on making God the priority, all this other stuff falls in line. God, God says that. I give you the desires of your heart. Draw close to me, I draw close to you. If you diligently seek me, I'll reward you. This is what that reward comes in the form of. Taking care of each other, taking care of our families. Proverbs 22.6, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, there's a flip side to this verse. If you train up a child in the way he's not supposed to go, guess what? He won't depart from it. It goes both ways. I can teach my kid how to pray. I can teach her how to read her Bible. I can teach her to love. Or I can just, it's not important at home. It's not serious enough. It's not a priority. And if I teach her that it's not a priority to me, it is not going to be a priority to her. I can't stand at and look at her and say, Taryn, did you pray today? Did you read your Bible? Were you kind at school? Did you love people? Did you forgive someone? I struggle with that. Sometimes I get a little angry with my kids and I yell at them and I'm not perfect, but it happens. And my wife will say, you know, you shouldn't have yelled at them. And I'm like, I can because they're my kids. And she says, yeah, but do you know that's the example that you're setting? I'm like, yes, but they're my kids. And she says, you should apologize to them. I'm not apologizing to a four-year-old. Do you know what that says? Avery, did you bite your sister? Yeah. You should apologize. No. It's what it is. Jeremiah 24, 15, probably everybody knows this verse. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Purpose, determination, make it personal. Teach them what it means to love God. But again, if our personal relationship with God is not the priority, neither will this. It won't happen. I have a cute little video. I don't know if I can click it, though. I might need help with that. All right. Come on, she's not full. Where'd you learn this? What are you doing? She was full, I could tell. Come on, she's not full. What? Where'd you learn this? Uh. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You. All right. I learned it by watching you. Parents who skim mac and cheese have kids who skim mac and cheese. Going creepy. Yeah, so. I don't know if you remember back in the 80s, they had the PSAs, and it's actually the, 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 the commercial I had originally picked. So the guy comes in, he finds some drugs, and they have the discussion about it, and he yells, I learned it from watching you, Dad! I thought this was probably a little bit lighter, a little more fun, right? But hey, the principle is still the same. I learned it by watching you. Can we determine... Can we purpose? Can we be diligent? How, how, how well do our kids know Christ through us? How serious is it? How important is it? 
Do I even have time to fit my kids into my schedule to show them that they matter to me? You know, one of the things that we talked about last week was uh, removing the veil. We'll go on to the next. Oh, I'm glad it didn't start automatically playing the next one because I have no idea what would have been next. Ryan, can you click me to the next slide, please? Vanilla Ice is up there. He's the little guy in green at the bottom. No worries. We talked about removing the veil last week. And I'll just reread the quote that we shared. It says, It is woven of the fine threads of the self-life, the hyphenated sins of the human spirit. They are not something we do, they are something we are. And therein lies both the subtlety and their power. Self is the opaque veil that hides the face of God from us. Self-righteousness, self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-preservation. There's a whole list of stuff that he, he gives the quotes on and talks about self. And then he goes on to say this becomes accepted behavior in our person. It becomes accepted behavior in our homes. It becomes accepted behavior in our church. And unfortunately, that's how the church is known. How many times have you heard, well, I'd go to church, but it's full of hypocrites and selfish people and... And we go, well, that's not, it's not true about us. Mm. Maybe it is. I don't know. I can tell you, sometimes this is me. And it is not to like, gain her some like, sympathy or false understanding. I, I, I'm trying to figure this out as I go as well. Every day is something new. Every day I pray, God, find a way to reveal yourself to me in a way that I haven't experienced it yet. And help me not only to be aware of it, but to respond. Got to flip the page, sorry. So the last thing that we'll talk about this morning, and we're going to wrap up pretty quickly. These verses in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 through 6, it says, You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are adequate in ourselves, to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills. But the Spirit gives life. And the question becomes, what's our letter read? How does it read? How does it read to our family? How does it read to our kids? How does it read to our ministry partners? How does it read to our spouses? I have a friend here in the uh, congregation this morning that I've known for a very long time. We went to middle school together, we went to high school together, and I can tell you, and, and she could probably tell you after too, this whole living epistle letter thing, yeah, there was a real stretch of time where, you know what my letter said? Do not read. That's what it said. Why? Because the priority was not there. 
I loved the idea of God. I loved the principle of God. I loved having this relationship that I could say I'm a Christian. And every other Friday night we had youth group. And every other Friday night I was a Christian. What's that? Didn't have to be the other time. No, my parents were with me at school. Like my kids act up here. I know about it right away. They said what? I, they they went with me at school. My dad had his own thing going on. My mom was was helping him. They ran a Christian school. He was the associate pastor. I got away with whatever I wanted to get away with because I knew how to break the rules. Can I tell you? There was a stretch in time where my dad wasn't totally engaged. Because his priority, it was shifted. And we were able to talk about this as we got older and as I became a father. And he was able to sit and look at me and say, you know what, son? There's some things that I need to talk to you about because I need to ask you for forgiveness. You know, that impacted me in such a way because here's a grown man looking at me. He doesn't owe me anything. I'm going to go back to Moana on this. Some of you might know where this is going. She goes out. I'm going to spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it, plug your ears. So she goes out. Dad says, don't go beyond the reef. It's dangerous. You're going to die. Nothing but trouble. So she says, I'm going to do it anyway. So she does. And she gets stuck in the coral, whatever, and she gets free. But she's having this conversation with her grandmother. And she's like, you're not going to tell Dad, are you? And she says this, I'm his mother. I don't have to tell him anything. And he's my father. He doesn't have to tell me anything. He doesn't have to apologize. He can go about his life. But he looked at me and said, you know what? I put things before you, and I'm sorry. That's a living letter. Our lives should spell out the gospel of Christ. David writes this. Let your love, God, shape my life with salvation exactly as you promised. Then I'll be able to stand up to mockery because I trusted your word. Don't ever deprive me of truth, not ever. Your commandments are what I depend on. Oh, I'll guard with my life what you've revealed to me. Guard it now, guard it ever, and I'll stride freely through wide open spaces as I look for your truth and your wisdom. Then... I'll tell the world what I find, speak out boldly in public, unembarrassed. I cherish your commandments. Oh, how I love them, relishing every fragment of your counsel. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. David stands, and this is what he writes. Your commandments. I will have... Speak out boldly in public, unembarrassed, unashamed. If you're reading in, in the New American Standard, it says he can stand before the king without fear, without shame. Why? Because his priority is God first. And David's not perfect, not by any stretch. And he falls along the way, and he stumbles, and he makes mistakes, and he gives in to temptation. But God restores him because he has this mindset that when God reveals something into his life and he pours light into him, and David says, holiness, wow, I missed the mark, I missed the boat, I'm going to get this right, and I'm not going to make the same mistake again. Why was David a man after God's own heart? Because he truly understood what repentance means. To take ownership 
and to have a change of direction. Not just a, yeah, I'm sorry, but God, I'm so sorry. There's a difference. It's a huge difference. So in closing, our relationship with God first, our family, and then our living letters. There's ten people sitting on a fence. And five decide to get off. How many are left? Ten. A decision is not action. Intention means nothing. We can intend to prioritize God, or we could do it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. And as we close, we just pray that you would help us to uh, be purposeful in our intentions and help us to turn our intentions into action. Lord, that we can uh, put you where you belong, first place in our lives. That our priority would be to look to you in all that we do. That we could set the example to our families. And Lord, as you bleed into our families, Lord, we know that, that our letters, our living epistles, who we are, can bleed out into the public. Lord, we could say what David said, I will speak boldly, I will stand unashamed, and you will strengthen me because I love your commandments. Lord, work in our lives. Help us to see you and seek you more and more each day. We ask these things in your name and commit this time to you. Amen. You're dismissed.